taking paws off me, you damn dirty ah! I've done studies, you know, 60% of the time, it works every time. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I drink your milkshake. We've got here is Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cinefleck. I am your host, Ethan Colburn. Welcome back. Welcome if this is your first time. Uh, just thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all my listeners. This is episode 49. I really, really can't believe we made it this far. Next episode is episode 50. We're going to be doing something really, really fun for that. I brought Carson Runquist on for our climax episode we um casually discussed doing cats on that episode and somehow it came to fruition so we are going to be doing cats for episode 50 and uh, i'm i'm really really happy to welcome him back so i really hope you enjoy that episode uh that'll be coming out next monday in the meantime uh this is an amazing episode, an amazing movie, uh, by Spielberg and, um, just two, two of my favorite film people. So Nev and Ryan are both absolutely incredible. And I was just happy to have them on this episode. We drank Jurassic port, which is essentially whiskey sour, with a pour over of port wine. So if you if you've ever had a New York sour and it's a pour over of like Pinot Noir into a um whiskey sour, you essentially replace that with port wine. It's quite, quite good. Um I have a recipe for that on my Instagram and Twitter, um at Pod on Instagram and at Cinefleck on Twitter. I'm quite proud of the photo, honestly. I put some of my old dinosaur toys in the photo to make it look like it was actually in Jurassic Park, and the drink was giant. I'm pretty proud of it, you guys. So, um, I I don't really need much more affirmation than the affirmation I've already gotten. But uh, if you want to check it out, just please comment on that on Instagram and Twitter. And for the record, I do love to hear from you guys from time to time. So it makes me really happy to just hear where you guys are up to. So please DM me anytime. Um, I love to hear from people that listen to this podcast. So, um, thank you to my patrons, Jaden, Sydney, Stephen, Griffin, Isaac, and Zach. If you want to be part of my Patreon, uh, go to patreon.com slash cinefleck. That's patreon.com slash C-I-N-E-F-L-E-K, cinefleck. Um, that really helps me kind of keep the show running and keep the show up to date. So uh, that would be really helpful. Stay tuned for next week. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, I'm just going to throw you into this amazing conversation. I really hope you enjoy. All right. Nev, Ryan, welcome to the podcast, you two. Hi. Good to be back. It's so, Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to have you back, Ryan. It's great to have you on, Nev, finally, yeah. <laughs> um, to talk about uh, Jurassic Park. We we ignored the will of the people. 
<laughs> the people voted for Dark Knight, and then we overruled them. Um, <laughs> why did we end up settling on Jurassic Park, and why does this movie mean so much to you? And sort of what's what's your history with it, Nev? First of all, mine. All right. So the tagline for this movie is an adventure 65 million years in the making, which funnily enough <laughs> must feel like the time it's taken for me to come onto this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is genuinely um, really great to be here. So thank you so it's much. It's so good to have you, man. Having me on. Um, so I'm basically a 90s kid through and through. Um, right. And I grew up kind of permeated in all things American culture, um, watching practically every blockbuster released uh, from Batman to Terminator to Independence Day, Mummy. My childhood might as well have been narrated by the movie trailer voice. And you know the one, the one that goes... In a world. I used to have like an in a world um, thing like on my voicemail but Paige told me at one point it was unprofessional she was like you can't have people call like I like I had this whole thing where I did in a world where Ethan Colbert is currently unavailable <laughs> you must make the decision that would have been an amazing voicemail it was I had it for years yeah sorry continue <laughs> um but I actually never saw Jurassic Park in the cinema I rented it oh wow okay um on VHS I think I was just far too young to watch it when it was originally released. Um, but yes, yeah, so I watched it on VHS. So for anybody born post 2000, um, VHS was <laughs> a home video format that existed prior to DVDs. Um, but honestly, the movie is such a wild ride. Um, it's enthralling and thrilling. And I mean, the visual effects are absolutely stunning. Uh, yeah, but growing probably. up, I was massively into dinosaurs i wasn't especially quizzed up on the names but i think just the the idea of them always fascinated me um i was always uh, amazed by this giant skeleton of a, a diplodocus at the national history museum in london um oh my god and, so cool. and i think what this film does is it kind of takes the dinosaur concept and mashes it up with a theme park. Another thing that I absolutely love. Um, yeah. And and this film very much puts the theme in park. Um, that the way that it's kind of actualized and the, the kind of kitchen novelty production design behind it. Um, yeah, it's so great. Yeah, no, it's super, it's super, super fun. So yeah. I definitely caught the tail end of the VHS era ryan were you were you because you're a couple oh, older yeah. than me ryan did, did you get did you get VHS I? yeah i definitely i definitely you're 21 uh, i'm 22 i'll be 23 and all you're 22 yeah i'm i'm turning yeah. 24 soon so yeah okay yeah so I, I i definitely uh i was definitely part of the vhs era when i was a kid i remember explicitly watching uh the lion king and monsters inc were like oh, two big God. ones i had on, nice. on vhs on repeat and <laughs> uh yeah i <laughs> I, when I the first time I saw Jurassic Park, I was like, I was a weird kid. Okay, I didn't I didn't like pizza, I didn't like ice cream, I didn't like soda, I didn't play with Legos, and I didn't care about dinosaurs. <laughs> so when I was a kid and I watched Jurassic Park, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. And now watching it, I'm like, oh my god, like that was so cool. I don't know what I was missing, man. I I would have thought this is a movie you'd like more as a kid, but I love yeah. it so much more now. Like. Yeah. 
incredible amount more. And and uh, I guess it's because my, my my taste has changed, obviously. But but really, I was like I was like really really surprised by how much I liked it. Yeah, I don't know if it strikes me more that you didn't like dinosaurs growing up or that you didn't like Legos. You really strike Dude, me as a I Lego hated like I don't know what it was, but every time really? someone's like, "I oh, want to play with Legos," I'm like. They're so small and inconvenient. Like I would play with the big ones, but the small ones, I was like, they just get everywhere. Duplos. I remember the Duplos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what they were called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, Did I used to build like the Lego. I I think it, it might have come after, but like the whole concept with them was that that they were for like younger kids, mm. um, so mm. that kids aren't swallowing Legos. But like I used to build like the craziest like Lego like three story houses and stuff, and then my younger brother would just come in and like stomp into my room. And just like destroy everything that I'd like so carefully, like light, like I'd have little towns on my floor and everything. But yeah, no, I I loved dinosaurs growing up. I had like a ton of dinosaur toys and stuff, but I I didn't see this until I was much older, I think, just because it's Mm -hmm. it's a fairly scary movie. And I I had a pretty weak, um, I was pretty easily scared as a kid. (laughs) I was obsessed with dinosaurs as a kid and i and like i had a bit a bit of a lisp and my favorite dinosaur was the parathrolophus <laughs> i'm not familiar with You're that dinosaur. Say, what does it look like shows up in jurassic park when he's first like looking at the brachiosaurus and they looks out mm. and then the ba da 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 starts playing and they're and they're all like sipping at the edge of the water those are oh wow. oh at the very beginning yeah 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 okay okay yeah yeah <laughs> at the beginning yeah. those are those are the no, i know which ones you're talking about yeah <laughs> parasaurolophi i don't know but yeah um <laughs> no this movie's great it's really really good and um i does one of you want to give like a like a brief plot summary before we dive in you, you go ahead nev I'm, i you're yeah you know about you more about this movie than i do Right. Seem prepared, Dev. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, so Sam Neill and Laura Dern, they play uh, Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler. They're a couple of dinosaur diggers at a site in Montana. They're suddenly greeted by an unannounced visitor, the enigmatic uh, John Hammond, who looks like the Monopoly man on vacation. Uh, Hammond owns an <laughs> island off Costa Rica and invites the paleontologist and paleobotanist uh, for a weekend away in order to secure endorsement for a revolutionary in- attraction. Uh, all right, so the attraction itself is Jurassic Park, and it's a biological reserve with real dinosaurs brought to life by extracting DNA from uh, sap-covered mosquitoes. So, you know, just the kind of idea behind that is mind-blowing. Um and on their visit, uh, Grant and Sattler are joined by a lawyer named Donald and a mathematician uh, named Ian Malcolm, um, as well as Hammond's two grandchildren, Lex and Tim. However, upon visiting, uh, there's a park-wide power outage caused by a bitter park worker played by Al from Al's Toy Barn, um, and prehistoric <laughs> hell breaks loose. <laughs> <laughs> Does it sound like I've just taken that off a website? I haven't. It's all my words. <laughs> was that all your original words? No, that was great. Oh, I like the Larry too. That's oh, great. That was lovely. That was lovely. I'm glad. I'm, I'm. I'm glad we didn't have Ryan do that. That would have been. A disaster. <laughs> yeah, that would have been disappointing if I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, did, did I make a case? Does it look like a film that if you'd not seen Jurassic Park, you would want to watch? Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. I want to watch I it mean, again. 
<laughs> totally. I think I think like the first thing that just really strikes me about this is how well the concept is aged. You know, like there's yeah. always there's always kind of leaps you have to take when you're watching a sci-fi movie, like especially if you're watching I don't know, let's just say like Alien or something. You're like, okay, they're on a spaceship and they're landing on this other planet. You know, you're always kind of like it takes you like to get in this world and this is just like the concept right away just makes sense. And it's stuff that like scientists are, it's like ethical questions that scientists are still questioning. Like this is, this Mm. is like before the first full sequence of a human genome. And like, you know, now we, we have like, we we, like have the mammoth DNA to like recreate a mammoth. If we want to, the technology for this seems more feasible than like other, other sci-fi movies. And it's just like, yeah, that, that is something I actually noticed. Um, as I was watching it, because I, I didn't remember m- much of it, so but when I remember when they started explaining like the whole DNA from the mosquito thing, I was like, yeah, honestly, I, mm. like that actually sounds feasible. Like, I, okay, yeah, yeah I, w- I really didn't have to question much about it because it was all like fairly straightforward. Like, it worked for, for me. Yeah, it sounded like it made sense. So, yeah, definitely made sense. Nev, what do you think of the concept? Oh, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, again, I think it, it does come down to the discovery via the, the mosquito blood. Um, it's just inspired. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's like a, it's a combination of like the concept and execution, right? Because it's like, it, it's something that seems still relevant and like oddly, like despite it being one of the first like CGI blockbusters, the CGI looks spectacular. Yeah. And like the dinosaurs, I think, I think the key with watching, with watching older movies um, is just like, it's, especially with like monsters and stuff it's like do the monsters like feel big you know i mean even when you mm-hmm. watch like the 1933 king kong like you know in the front of your mind that it's stop motion but like it that mo- that monkey feels huge and that monkey yeah. feels like he's picking up your main character and like you're scared of him you know what i mean and i feel like the same thing's true here where you know some of the shots are cgi you can kind of tell at this point what's cgi and what's done with like puppets Mm -hmm. but um it's still like really really effective and scary and just yeah like the special effects are great like i honestly don't think many people could have directed this outside of spielberg because it it just has if well i I should say if it had been directed by someone else it would not have been this um there's just like such a spectacle feel to it that really only spielberg is able to pull off and like i think the way well the decision of using puppets here and CGI here and, you know, and all of those decisions, I think they made perfectly in the perfect scenarios that they did. And I don't think a lot of directors would have been able to accomplish that, even, even just that. And then the Abby uh, being able to add like the adventurous kind of like, yeah. Also, by the way, I just wanted to bring this up. I don't remember this many people dying in this movie. There's like there's a lot of death in this movie. <laughs> there's a lot of like, death. Yeah. Wow. I was I was watching this as a kid. I don't remember that at all. Um, but anyway, yeah. But like Spielberg is able to pull it off in such like a perfect way that I really don't think it would have worked as well with anybody else. Honestly. What no, I think that's does, a really good point. What he does especially well is kind of balancing this uh, awe and wonder. With absolute terror. Yeah. Um, I mean, he is, he's just an incredible director. I mean, his body of work um, really shows, uh, not just as a director, but also as a producer. Um, collectively, for all of us, he's, he's kind of made such impactful 
popular movies, accessible movies, um, but big budget spectacle. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Especially here. I mean, I mean, so this this is 1993 for Spielberg. First of all, we should just say it's the greatest year by any director ever. Oh my god! Yeah. He does. He does. He does Jurassic Park, which becomes the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. And then, and then in the winter, he drops Schindler's List and wins Best Picture. Like you just can't. You can't. <laughs> you can't you get more can't. successful. <laughs> it, that's literally the most successful thing you could possibly do. Like, that's like uh, the first, I'm gonna make the highest grossing movie of all time. Then I'm gonna win Best Picture a couple months later. Just, just why not? You know. It's crazy. I mean, and. And obviously, both both movies are so so different tonally. Oh yeah, I mean, and yeah. just just the way the way he the way he directs them. I I I sort of wanted to go back to what you were saying about like the spectacle. Um, mm. It's it's interesting how he often like chooses in this movie to to he he almost chooses spectacle over believability at at moments and you don't totally mind like okay for instance yeah. like there's the famous shot of the t-rex like roaring well while the banner falls dinosaurs yeah. once ruled the earth you know whatever <laughs> like there's there's like all these moments that sort of are timed perfectly for the shot mm-hmm. that don't feel real but like i guess i guess it like at times i find myself almost rolling my eyes but it's like Spielberg can pull it yeah, off because it's Spielberg. Is, it makes you roll your eyes because it's like, well, uh, you know, this is clearly not something that would happen. Like the banner falls perfectly in front yeah. of the dinosaur, but you just yeah. don't care because it's like it looks so amazing and it's like <laughs> it has that. It just gives you like the. I mean, it didn't give me actual chills, but it gives you like the chills effect where it's like, whoa, that is so like, oh, that works so perfectly. The timing was so perfect, and you're like, you don't care if it's not believable. It's dinosaurs. Why not? You know, like it's fun. It's fun. You know, uh, there were a lot of moments like that, though. Definitely, yeah. I think the other moment like that was. Like was like the arm. It was like, oh, thank God, his arms on my shoulder. I was like, oh, it's a, it's a severed arm. Like, oh God. Yes. But how does the T Rex get into that visitor center at the end? It was a v- raptor, I believe. But yeah, I don't know. Oh, you're talking. Yeah, you, I oh, think the T Rex. Basically, how the T Rex at the end? Yeah, it looks like there's a giant. I, I I thought about this too when I saw it. It looked like there was a giant like hole in the back of the building i don't know if he just busted through it but i think someone would have heard if he busted through it but oh that reminds me of another part when um laura dern's character is is uh, turning the power back on mm. and then she's just doing it and then she turns to the left and it's like wrapped her like right in her face and she's like ah! i'm like wait a minute how long has that thing been there <laughs> like, <laughs> it waited for her to turn the power back on yeah, exactly they're intelligent no, I mean, creatures yeah, no, they are. <laughs> I mean, at least in this movie, like it, it definitely, it definitely reminded me of of Jaws in that way of just like Ooh. you yeah, know, yeah, you have yeah. to just sort of understand that the monster has a mind of its own and it's always going to be on you, and he's never really gonna. He doesn't really give you many moments of rest. Like, there's a couple downtime, like from maybe the thirty five minute mark on to the end. There's a Ooh. couple down points. There's like. There's like the talking about the Brachiosaurus and the trees. And then there's like the conversation with Richard Attenborough and Laura Dern. Um, you know, there's a couple down points, but it's mostly like, okay, like now you're going to deal with this. I mean, in the best, like in the best way, it's like a theme park ride. Like I think, yeah, I, you know, I, I, Martin I Scorsese what, would be proud. That's a really good point actually. But what I was going to say, because what I, what I liked most about it this time around, I think was the pacing 
because mm-hmm. once they start that tour, it's just like the entire rest of the movie is just the tour gone wrong. It's nothing else. It's yep. just it, like, it's that exact, you know, <laughs> and like it, it makes the pacing so perfect because it's literally just, it's almost like in real time that everything's happening. Mm-hmm. So it puts you even further on the edge of your seat because there's no time jumps. There's no, you know, it's literally just one linear story from when they go on the tour until, you know, the end of the movie. Is this the best, is this the best example of like corporation says nothing can go wrong? <laughs> like, is this the best example of that? Cause it's been done a million times since then. That would probably be, yeah. One, it's definitely one of the top ones for sure. It's this or deep blue sea in my opinion. I have yes. not seen deep blue sea. Another, yeah. actually another uh, good one would be the, the Stanford prison experiment. Is if that counts technically? Oh, that yeah. definitely counts. Then that's yeah. a, that, everything that will happens. be fine. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Fine. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, we've got it all under control. <laughs> Oddly, no, never mind. That's really dark. I was going to say that this and Schindler's List have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're um, funny. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool seeing like the science at the time too. It was really cool. Like, I mean, I, I know that was part of the cr- criticism with Jurassic world is that like, I mean, with Jurassic park, like it was really a big deal that, that birds evolved from dinosaurs. Like that was a huge kind of new concept. And they were really implementing like cutting edge, like scientific stuff into the movies. And like with Jurassic world, they kind of took the 90s science and, re-up the CGI and whatever, but they didn't update the concepts. Like they probably should have put Heathers like on the dinosaurs. Like, like we know they all had them now, but they, they, they didn't really bother to up update that, but it is, it is cool to see. Um, it really is like nineties technology. And like, I love, I love the part where like the car has a CD ROM drive in it and everything. <laughs> like, this is so cool. <laughs> it's just awesome the science and everything. Um, It's funny, you know, when you, when I think about dinosaurs and and certainly how they sound, my understanding of it, I think certainly drawn from my experience of watching that movie. uh, I I kind of didn't really appreciate that when they made that movie, they didn't actually know how these dinosaurs sounded. Yeah. Um, You know, they'd consulted with paleontologists uh, and even they didn't know. So they had to then improvise. And so the raptors, they extracted sounds from dolphins and walruses. I mean, that kind of stuff. Just wow. Blows yeah. my mind. It works. Uh, yeah. I also read from actually a, fu- a fun, my, the Blu-ray pack that I got from Ethan for Christmas, a Spielberg set <laughs> has a little book in it with like a bunch of fun facts about each movie. So I had yeah. like a bunch of oh, fun facts fun. about Jurassic Park. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. I had concept yeah. art too, but you know, I can't show it cause it's a podcast. Uh, but anyway, just imagine you're looking at the concept art. Uh, but no, it said the sound design of the, of the uh, T-Rex was like a mix of tigers, alligators, and baby elephants. And then the, Baby elephants the, is one that throws me off there. Yes. <laughs> and then the Dilophosaurus, which is the thing that um, mm. kills... Eats Newman? What, what was his name? Yeah, Newman. Newman. Um, <laughs> the, his name um, isn't Newman, just for the record. Yeah, I know, it's oh. Newman in... in, uh, in Newman, Newman in Seinfeld. Seinfeld. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was created with with howler monkeys, hawk screeches, rattlesnake hisses, and swan calls. 
<laughs> what is that? Right? That's like, whoa, mix. that's, that's a crazy cool. mix. Yeah. I love that dinosaur. I love the thing that flares out and everything. And yeah, that was really, yeah. that, that was really, really fun. Um, great. I don't know. Again, I don't know. Like, you don't know how the T-Rex got in the building. I don't know how that dinosaur got in the car. <laughs> was there, yeah, true. Or was it like, was it like his buddy was like his buddy hiding out in the car? It was, it was like, scare him into the car and then I'll, I'll get him for you. <laughs> But apparently, the, the, Dilop- the Dilophosaurus didn't actually have those. Um, what are they called? The, uh, the, they look like they look like those oh, lizards the, that do the, that. Like the oh, I wouldn't know what to call it either. Yeah, yeah the fan, just, fan, like thing. the little collar yeah, fan we'll, thing. Yeah, let's call, call it that. We'll just call it. That. <laughs> uh, they apparently didn't have that. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a bummer. Interesting. You know, but that's, that's kind of such bummer. a distinctive feature for the dinosaur. And apparently the the venom thing wasn't a quality. Either. Oh yeah, that black yeah. nasty black venom. Yeah. Well, apparently dinosaurs didn't know what to do with door handles either. So there's a, there's a couple couple leaps that are taken in this film. Um, a dinosaur has never opened a door handle. It's a fun fact. For you. That is true. Um, yeah, like is it, is there like a favorite like kind of chase scene that you guys have? Like, is there like a number one just like favorite moment that you guys have that's like that's like that's like a scary moment uh i'm well my answer is gonna be cliche but uh it's it's when the dinosaur or the t-rex breaks through the glass of the um of the top of the car and the kids are underneath the glass like screaming for their lives that that like that actually had me like i was like oh my god and apparently the the glass wasn't actually supposed to break so their screams Mm. were genuine and Spielberg was like, we're going to leave that in the movie because they were loud and like terrified screams. Uh, but I also really enjoyed the oh, kitchen no. scene with the raptors yeah. in the kitchen. That was good too. Those were the, those were literally the two that I was going to mention. Nev. Oh really? Oh, shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. We'll get into them. I mean, that whole T-Rex attack early on is, I mean, it's absolutely amazing how that whole sequence is staged. Um, yeah. And again, when it comes down to the visual effects, it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of mesmerized by even to this day how convincing it looks. You know, you yeah. look at other movies that have used CGI, uh, The Matrix being one of them, where that CGI is not aged well at all. That's um, a good point. But it I came mean, out it like is six years later too. Yeah, and um, I, I, it's it's terrifying that sequence. Mm-hmm. The whole well, that's however many minutes it is. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of the all-time moments where you just wish you could go back and see that in theaters in, uh, like, like opening weekend, yeah. you know, because it's it's literally, I mean, the crazy thing about that is it's literally, like, the first time they're, it's the first time the audience is seeing a T-Rex on screen like that. I mean, it's the first time they're seeing Spielberg's T-Rex, I guess, but it's, um, I, I mean, I think, I think what, what modern blockbusters can really take from this in terms of believability and stuff is just that like if you use cgi sparingly like it can really really be effective like and it can be a lot more effective than if you plaster cgi all over the place like like you know Jurassic world is just it's it's got a ton of cgi in it like the whole world feels like Mm -hmm. it's like straight out of a computer and this and, and and this really feels like you have you have dinosaurs interacting with the real world the the sparing use of CGI in this is really effective. 
Yeah, there is there is definitely such a thing as too much CGI for sure. And a good example is literally Jurassic World. I I, mm. I watched it a while ago. I don't really have any interest in going back. But but yeah. I agree. Like the amount of, of CGI that they used in this movie was just enough to the point where it didn't become like, well, that's clearly CGI. Like, but it also was it was it was used in a way that made it feel realistic, but also made it. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Believable. I guess, yeah, I guess the it, it enhanced the believability because they use CGI so sparingly. You use it too much, and it just becomes like a gag at some point. Mm. Like it just becomes like, yeah, we get it. Like it's it's a CGI dinosaur. But that that movie did this movie did not have that problem like at all, which was really which was interesting to see because, like Nev said, like this movie came out uh, almost thirty years ago now, mm. right? And this and the CGI holds up better than some movies that came out fifteen years ago, ten years ago. So and that's totally. pretty impressive. That is very impressive. It is. Yeah. It is crazy. What really fascinated me, actually, when uh, in terms of the making of the movie, is how they were initially going to go with stop-motion animation for the dinosaurs. Really? Um, but they... Wow. Old school. Spiel, Spielberg actually was insistent on, on going into the kind of realms of CGI. And you can tell that it sort of paid off. There was something called go-motion, which was... A different kind of stop motion where they would use uh, motion smoothing on the uh, stop motion animation. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I think it was revolutionary at the time, the, the CGI that they were using. And apparently it was off the back of Terminator 2, another film that has right. incredible uh, visual effects. Uh, and The Abyss, effects. which I've not seen, but I've seen clips of The Abyss. And, uh, the yeah, I need to watch The Abyss. As well. and- yeah, I mean, I think I, th- I think the other th- the the flip side of the CGI being used sparingly is just that the um the puppetry is really good too. I mean, just like those up close shots of the dinosaur. Like, there's yeah. there's one shot where um when they're in the car, I think the dinosaur hasn't yet gotten into the roof. She's shining the flashlight outside. Mm. Dinosaur comes up, and his pupil dilates when mm. the light shines on him. I'm like, I don't even know how they did that. I don't even know how you get That's, the pupil to mm, that is true. close yeah, up. That was crazy that. to me. That was crazy. And uh, for the record, I when she turned that flashlight on, I was like, Whoa! I was just <laughs> on the TV. I was like, what are you doing? Why would you turn the flashlight on? Like, what, what, what is that going to accomplish? Like, like, actually, what was her thinking there? Was exactly. she trying to like scare her off? Like, was know. he trying to scare the dinosaur off? Like, I don't know why you I, would do that. I have. She literally was like, "I'm going to shine this in the dinosaur's face and see what happens." Like, why? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, that know. was a yeah. little oh, weird to me. I also have uh, something to go off of what Nev said about the go motion thing. Um, yeah. There is a line that was said in that little go motion meeting where the. Um, the, the famous go-motion animator's name was Phil Tippett. He turned to Steven, Steven Spielberg after watching the CGI dinosaurs and said, we're extinct. <laughs> and then he literally wrote that into the script and had Jeff Goldblum say some kind of variation of it, <laughs> which is interesting. Interesting. Because they were like okay, actually yeah. watching C- – like they had – like CGI before this was so limited. So like they were watching this and they were just like, holy crap. Like this is – like it was it was literally like a like an innovation that has just never seen the light of day before that pretty much. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And 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 like also going off like the limitations of CGI. I mean, I mean, like I I saw a video a while ago from this like from this like CGI artist on YouTube explaining kind of how um, 
it was really, really effective to light the T-Rex kind of from behind in the rain, kind of semi-obscured, because it's just, it's just, you don't need to make him as detailed and you're not as focused on the details. And so, yeah. like, that scene specifically, I mean, that, it, that really holds up. I mean, there's some CGI, yeah. like, early on yeah. in the and movie the fact where you're like... raining, too. Also yeah. Yeah. It, it looks, it looks, it looks amazing it looks amazing mm-hmm. and and then also just knowing like i mean yeah you never really want to have cgi interacting with human characters i find that that still doesn't look good like it i find it still doesn't mm-hmm. look good when like thanos picks someone up like i mean that's i just... agree yeah we had we had actually a lot of our teachers in film school were telling us they told us stuff like if you watch a movie with a lot of cgi the best cgi is the stuff that's like hidden whether it's mm-hmm. behind some kind of fog or whether it's like only seen like a little bit behind something. That's how it, that's when it looks best because you're hiding the imperfections of it. So you really only see like, and it looks great because it's like partly hidden. So when it comes to like Marvel movies and stuff, it's so blatant and in your face that you can see it. Like it's, it's there. It's very clearly there. So obviously Spielberg was like, not only was he one of the first to use the CGI, he was also one of the first to use that, that tactic of like hiding it a little bit. You know, even even in the shots, uh, the wide shot, like at the very beginning with the, um, oh man, what was the name of that dinosaur with the long neck? Well, the Brachiosaurus. Uh, Brachiosaurus. Yeah, Brachiosaurus. Mm. Uh, like, says they're it's so, so much far away. <laughs> Brachiosaurus. <laughs> they're, they're, like, <laughs> they're like so far away in the distance and you can tell there's like a little bit of like fog in, in front of them and stuff. So it really, I mean, you can still tell, but it really it doesn't look so bad, which is, which is a good tactic that, that kind of reminds me of my least favorite special effect in the movie. Okay. Um, my <laughs> least, my least favorite special effect in the movie is that tree that they're sitting in. It looks like it's straight up made of concrete. <laughs> you know, I never, I didn't actually notice. Into, yeah, no, the tree that they climb up into to look at the Brachiosaurus. Like I swear to God, oh. they have like, it's just you, you can straight up see the plaster that they've plastered it together on. And I'm like, like, you guys, you got like two hundred million dollars or whatever you had. Like, you just make a real tree. Like, like I believe find the T-Rex is there. Just find a tree, you guys. Come on. That whole T-Rex sequence. I just am astonished by the fact that whole sequence was shot on a soundstage. I think it's just general. Oh, that's crazy. Was it really? You know, the incredible movie making, uh, you know, where you are, you can totally cre- recreate something within a housed building. Um, you know, I would have easily totally. thought that that was outside mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah especially, I mean, with the weather effects and the scale of that whole sequence, for that to have just been all in a soundstage. Yeah, it looks too it's, big for a soundstage, definitely. Yeah. Well, and, and then going off like the whole kitchen thing, like I, I just think that kind of goes back to like the flair that Spielberg has just to really get hyper detailed about things. Like just like the sound that, that, that metal makes that they have in industrial kitchens, like the stainless steel siding on things and how it kind of makes these loud noises when you tap on it, you press on it or anything. And you know, the spoons that you walk, like it feels very like immersive and like, tactile i don't know it feels like something it feels like you're in it in so many ways i actually do have another example of that Mm. which is when and it was kind of cool actually how they did it with it's the 
the part where the T-Rex is like first being, you first hear it walking and you see the glass of water kind of rippling, you know? And they did that yeah. by plucking a guitar string that was strung from under the dashboard to a bolt in the floor. So they literally had a guitar string like attached from the floor to the, to the car and they were like plucking it to get the water to ripple. Wow. It's just, it's just the technicality behind creating that effect. I mean, they could have used computer wizardry to do something like that, but the practical element to that, I mean, you have to give them credit for it. Oh, yeah. Practical. I, I always applaud when a film chooses practical in, in any sense over CGI. Obviously, I like the CGI used here, but like in a general sense, going practical with small stuff like that instead of CGI, it makes a big difference, I think, honestly. No, totally. And like, I think I think the other thing that's, that, that this movie goes to show you is like, I'd say the CGI for the most part doesn't feel dated, but I mean, can at times and like the yeah. puppetry in it almost never feels dated. Like you believe no, that that's yeah, like a exactly. dinosaur face up to them. So like if, if people were willing to use, you know, certain like dinosaur puppets from certain angles and stuff, that's also really effective. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think the other thing about that scene, I know we keep talking about the scene. Does, does, like that lawyer character that gets destroyed in the bathroom, that has to be oh, no. that has to be someone that Spielberg knew, right? Doesn't that have to I would be like hope some, so. Doesn't like, that hey, have to be, be some annoying play. executive or like some lawyer or just some like man in suit that he like got screwed over by at some point? <laughs> I hope so. Right? I hope so. It'd be so funny. <laughs> like, 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 what was that guy's role? Like, lawyer or something? Was he a lawyer? He, yeah, he, he was a lawyer. Was... He was the lawyer who brought um, Jeff Goldblum's character onto the island. I think. Mm. Yeah. So that was really pretty much his only purpose. <laughs> yeah. No. That and that's that's why I think Spielberg had it out for someone. Do you guys know what a chaos theorist is? Because I don't. And that's the uh, that's the role of Jeff Goldblum's character. He's a mathematician and a chaos theorist. You know, if you were to give me this question on on a final, and I, this is like my bullshit answer of it. I like, I mean, obviously he's there to like foreshadow the ending, and so I would, I, I, I would guess that he's he's there to like predict uh, possible ways this could go wrong, but it doesn't seem like the first profession that you'd try to bring onto this island. Like, obviously paleontologists. Maybe like biologists, environmentalists, and like engineers to make sure. Like it doesn't. It seems like like if I were listing professions that I was trying to get onto this, like, hey, I'm opening this theme park. It's got dinosaurs in it. I probably wouldn't think to bring a chaos theorist first. But Jeff Goldblum's character is so good, though. Definitely one of the most charming parts of the movie, for sure. But, but that first scene that he's in. When he does that, like, weird growl. So they're the one that I mean, the... <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what is yeah. he saying? Uh, he's not a very, like, transformative actor. Like, he doesn't... Like, he, every time he's Jeff Goldblum, it's like, okay, Jeff Goldblum's in this movie. Yeah. And he's being Jeff Goldblum. But you never really mind it. Like, he's always just... He's always hilarious. I mean... I agree. Is yeah. he... Is he your guys' favorite character in this? I guess we haven't really gotten into the characters yet. Mm. Well, good question. I think my favorite is uh, John Hammond, the uh, good oh. runner of the place. Ooh, and that's... Um, and, he's and very know, complex. He's played, he's played by Richard Attenborough, <laughs> David Attenborough's brother. Do you know this? Yes, yes. Famed BBC Planet Earth. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Brachiosaurus is getting ready to mate. Actually, something something cool about that character was it was originally he was or he was designed to be like a dark Walt Disney. So oh, yeah. you, you guys think that you think you I think that I, I think after I read that I was like I can see it. I can totally. I guess I guess dark Walt Disney in the sense that like he, I mean he does something cynical, but Walt Disney did shadier shit probably. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but so, I guess like, <laughs> but no. Well, that's a good but, point. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, he he is he is likable till the end. Like I think, yeah. I think Spielberg could have could have easily made a moment where, you know, he chose money over over the safety of you know the people in the park or something. But he maybe that would have made it more interesting. I mean, like, do you think it would have made it more interesting if he turned evil? Like, because he doesn't really get. No, he just. It, it almost feels like when he doesn't. Like when things don't go his way, he just kind of like, oh, this sucks. Like he's not really like, he's not really like, oh, you know, like I, the real villain, like person villain. There's really no person villain, but the person villain, if anything, would be um, Newman. New, yes, Newman. Um, if anybody, because and he's actually um, Attenborough's son in the movie, right? Or is, is that he? just a is that just a side comment? Because he he calls him dad at one point. I just don't oh. know if that's like a if that was like a sna- like a sl- a sni dad or if it was like actually dad. I I don't know. I, he does call I him think dad. that was I think that was sort of like an offhand comment because otherwise yeah. I think he'd have a relationship with the kids uh, who didn't might, even think about who that. You're right. You're totally right. Be his like <laughs> niece and nephew. You're, you're we can rewrite about that. Yeah, so it's fine. But um, but yeah, because I I liked Attenborough's character so much because he was almost like at the beginning he's like this big like grand guy and we created this whole Jurassic Park thing and by the end he's like, Oops, you know like like so it's uh, you know you feel bad you almost feel bad for him because he's like he's worked so hard for this and then it just just it just falls apart. I don't know, I Jill, I really feel sorry for him in those in that kind of third act of the movie. I think when he realizes what he's actually created. Um, He's got this kind of amazing optimism to him. I, I mean, yeah, there is there is that kind of capitalist greed part of him, but I think there's a lot of pride there, and I think he genuinely does care. He's flawed, but like a lot of humans are. Yeah. Do you th- do you think that? No, I think that's a good point. I mean, do 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 you think that like had Newman not literally imploded every safeguard that they had do you think that the park could have functioned i think it was inevitable for something to go wrong at some point but i do think that that uh that tour like that you know those characters would have been perfectly fine going through the tour and coming out and been like yeah we saw them it was fine you know we didn't get hurt um, so he kind of does set everything in motion by turning off all the electricity and all that stuff. I, I don't think it would have something would have happened eventually, but not that soon. I think it it could have worked. I, I trust in in John Hammond and his <laughs> amazing security system that would never fail. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to think that it could work. I mean, do you know what? I actually really like Jurassic World uh, as a kind of future follow-up and the fact that that is more it's more of a traditional theme park you know i talk about how they kind of actualize the theme here it's kind of amplified in in jurassic world with all the different themed rides and the merchandising and um yeah i'm very much i'm the kind of person that i'd I'd hop on a ship or hop on a helicopter 
I'd go. I love. Oh, in a second. <laughs> I would totally go. But would you? But <laughs> yes. would you go? Would you go to Jurassic Park knowing what happened to Jurassic World? I guess is the other question. They're like this this time, you guys. I, I'd go on that that gyrosphere. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, I would. I I would honestly seeing a dinosaur in real life. I would. There's. I would totally do that at the risk of my own life. Sure, why not? I, that's yeah. a once in a lifetime thing. Or totally. Life I think I would too. Yeah. The Mosasaurus would be the 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 one attraction I'd be most excited about. What other? Okay, I mean, we can't we can't move on from characters until we talk about Laura Dern. Amazing. So, uh, anyone want to start us off with Laura Dern? She has she has one of the best lines actually. The line mm-hmm. about women inherit the earth. Yeah, that's a that's good a, line. A and good all the guys are just like, okay. Also, happy, happy, happy International Women's Day to the to the two oh, other yes. men on my podcast. But uh, yes, women will someday inherit the earth, I, I suppose. It, she just instantly shoots Hammond, uh, sorry, um, Alan Grant and, and Ian Malcolm down in that instant. It's great. It's so great. And they both look, they both like turn their head at the exact same time right at her when she says it as perfect moment. But do you know what I, do you know what I did find in this film? It is, it's both Ellie Sattler and uh, Lex, the, the young granddaughter. Collectively, those two basically save everybody's asses in that. Oh yeah. That is true. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and, and the dinosaurs, if we're going to accept that they are all females. um, Yeah. I mean, she, Ellie Sattler was right. Women did inherit the earth in that moment. Going off like that scene where she says, I, I, it's, it's, uh, they really, really drag that out. They really, really drag out the tour that doesn't work. And <laughs> I think not every, not every great, not every director would have known to do that. It's, it's really, I mean, it, okay. So I remember I, I read, this is this is gonna get really like film snobby. I read like the Hitchcock Truffaut book, and like he talked about like how he did like the famous uh, crop duster chase from North by Northwest, and he really like he does five he puts like five to seven minutes of just like nothingness before this really really intense scene, basically bores you out of your mind, but you're uncomfortably bored because you're like expecting something to happen. So by the mm-hmm. time like something really comes out it hits you hard and i think that's why the t-rex sequence finally hits you so hard uh you know five to ten minutes later is because like you're really just sitting there waiting for the t-rex with the rest of the gang and he does not show up that is true actually interestingly so the 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 movie's two hours and seven minutes Mm -hmm. uh if you know the answer that go ahead but how long do you think dinosaurs are on screen for out of that (laughs) two hours and seven minutes I would go 27. Mm, 43. You're going to be very surprised. It's 15. Oh, no way. Wow. 15 minutes. And that's why I say I think CGI is smart because he used so many wow. sound effects and stuff instead because, you know, you're hearing the dinosaurs before you see them. Like they're rustling the, 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 mm. uh, the leaves and you're hearing them, you know. So there's like so many things that like build up to seeing a dinosaur, but apparently they're only on screen for about 15 minutes. So... I thought that was really interesting because it doesn't feel like it. It feels like they're it's way longer. Are you guys familiar with Michael Crichton? Yeah, he's the he, author. He wrote, he's the he, author, right? Yeah, he, author. We we should we should t- we should talk about him when we're talking about the yeah. Um, you know, uh, him again. The whole concept behind this film is, I mean, really appeals to me. But also as a writer, 
he's the guy that masterminded uh, the mastermind behind Westworld, which is another marvelous really? idea. Um, and a TV show that I absolutely love called ER. Um, you know, and that's actually I where he, he ER. that's, that's where he um, connected with Spielberg because yeah, Spielberg yeah. was a great, was creatively involved in the kind of setup of, of the show. And that's how he joined forces with Michael Crichton. To, to add on to that a little bit, Spielberg, that's, that's when they met on the set of ER or writing ER technically. Um, that's when Crichton told uh, Spielberg about Jurassic Park, the book, but it hadn't actually been published yet. So Spielberg literally had Universal buy the rights to the book before it was published so that he could make the movie. He, he like, didn't even know what yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, he's like, I'm going to make this movie. You guys are going to buy it. And they were, and he's Spielberg. <laughs> so, of course, they were like, okay, yeah, dinosaur movie with Spielberg, sure. That's uh, so crazy to me. Totally. No, Michael Crichton's so great. And yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, especially when we're talking about just credit for the concept. I mean that that all goes to Michael. That that like all goes to him just for yeah, definitely. I mean, using cutting edge technology. Um, I thought it, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, it 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 occurred to me that when they have that little explainer video. I mean, I mean, it was, a, it, it was sort of a subtle way to fit mm-hmm. in exposition or kind of a clever way i should say to fit in exposition when they have like the explainer video of like oh i'm a dna strand and this is what i do and blah 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 it but it, it occurred to me that you, you probably had to explain that more to audiences in the 90s than you do now you probably it's probably mm-hmm. more commonplace that you'd understand oh yeah everyone gets their 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 stuff sequence from 23 and me or whatever and you kind of know you kind of know the basics of how it works and I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that there was a little more explanation needed at the time. Actually, to be honest, I love the way that they did it um, with the little cartoon DNA thing because apparently it was like it started as a joke. Like, I, I don't know who, but Spielberg and somebody, they were talking like, how are we going to explain this DNA thing? And they were like, why don't we just use a cartoon DNA? And then they were like, okay, let's actually do that. And then they did it. <laughs> okay, I mean, it, I, that's like one of my favorite parts of the movie, though, when that DNA comes up. And when, when Attenborough walks up and he's talking to himself on screen, he's like, hey, and he goes, oh, shoot, I have lines. <laughs> he takes the little things out of his pocket. <laughs> that, was, that, that, that was pretty great. Yeah, I, I, I think my one like character problem was, for the life of me in this movie, I really couldn't figure out why they had Sam Elliott try to do an American accent. Or I mean Sam Elliott, Sam Neil. I mean Jesus, <laughs> Sam Elliott could not do an American accent. No, but like Sam Neil does an American accent, and there's and there's times where he goes like never, never <laughs> get out of that tree because we need to get to the helicopter. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I guess I, I guess it technically wasn't really necessary. It wasn't. He could have yeah. just been from Australia. There was another guy from Australia. That is true. Australia. I, I suppose from. From the UK, I, in terms of my own listening, uh, I didn't really notice a change in accent. But I mean, yeah, I didn't notice it too much either. But yeah. but it's interesting. I, I can I can I believe it's there, but I did mm. not. I didn't hear anything. I thought his his character was really nice to me. Yeah, I liked, and he was originally supposed to be played, or not supposed to be, but the, the role was offered to Harrison Ford first. I could see that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I, but apparently after Harrison Ford saw the movie, he said he's glad that he didn't do it. It's just not a movie that he would have. Uh, that could just be Harrison Ford, though, because it's a very Harrison Ford thing to say. But also, <laughs> I, I think I think Sam Neill was was perfect in the role. I think he I think he pulled it off probably better than – I could totally see Harrison Ford there, but I, I like the way Sam Neill played it. 
on top of on top of um, uh, Sam Neill almost being Harrison Ford, uh, Jeff Goldblum was almost Jim Carrey, which I could not see. I'm not gonna lie, I, no, I, I can't see that. That. I, that. That would have thrown off. That would have thrown off. I think the, the um, tone a little bit. This would have been okay. So Jim Carrey's big year was 1995. So this is very. This is like in living color, Jim Carrey. Was that pre-mask? Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, mask was. Oh no, no, mask, Dumb and Dumber, mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura were all the same year. I think it was ninety four. Wow, were they really? Oh my gosh, that was a huge year for him. So Liar Liar must be just after. Oh, I love Liar Liar. My God, Liar Liar was ninety seven, ninety seven or so. No, Liar Liar was uh, was the top movie at the box office the 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 day I was born. I looked that up recently. Oh wow! Oh really? That's awesome. There you go. He wouldn't have been trying to be subtle here at all. This was this isn't like late nineties, exactly. early two thousands Jim Carrey where he's mm-hmm. learned to be subtle. This would be like yeah. balls to the wall, yeah. like fire marshal Bill Jim Carrey. Wait, which, what, what's the, what's a Jeff worked. Goldblum? What's a Jeff Goldblum line line in this? Just one random one. Oh, um, I want to try to Jim Carrey it. Just because you say, can doesn't mean you should, or do you want to do something more like comedic? just because you can? <laughs> like no thank you i don't want that in this movie <laughs> and you can just imagine his like very expressive body language yeah exactly yes but jeff goldblum's yeah, like so sensual i mean like that 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 shot where he's just like leaning back you know like shirtless like you know it's coming but i'm just like wow i forgot how powerful that is you know, literally, just like a shirtless, spends, injured Jeff Goldblum. He literally spends most of the movie just injured, shirtless, sitting there, like looking like a '90s hunk for the rest of the fucking crowd. Like, whoa, Jeff Goldblum shirtless, and it works. What other kind of like weird bug-eyed looking guy can be that like sexy? I don't know how he does it. I don't know where Jeff Goldblum's sex appeal comes from, but I think it's just like pure charisma. It very well could be his charisma is like so charisma out of this world. Yeah. I don't think he looks like significantly better than Steve Buscemi, and I don't. I think most whoa, people. Whoa, wait, Steve. really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I would go that far. <laughs> I mean, Steve, look, I love Steve Buscemi, but that dude looks like. I mean, I don't know. He was, he was better looking when he was younger, but like. <laughs> I was just kind of think of another awkward actor. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Oh, you know, you guys like, I don't know. I, I, I have to like make note about score because I, I always feel like I forget to talk about mm. score until the end. But yeah, is this is this John Williams best? Oof. That's a question. I mean, uh, I'm biased, so I would say yes, but it's definitely top three. I, I don't think I can. I don't think I can put it above Star Wars. Yeah, uh, personally, it's hard, but it is, okay, it's it is one of his best, it, definitely. It's hard to put it above Star Wars, at least in terms of how iconic it is, because Star Wars is so iconic. But it's like, I mean, I guess the tough thing with film scores is you have to separate like how iconic the film score is itself from how good the music is, because I I don't think it's by chance that so many of the film scores that we listen to are from great movies because we it brings us back mm-hmm. to watching the movie. So I I almost think that's better tonally, but it's 
I, I think beyond that main theme, maybe Star Wars goes deeper because there's so many other themes. I don't know. I think I think there's definitely more to the Jurassic Park theme. There's more to it, and it's mu- it's definitely much more um, uplifting for sure. It's, it, I think it's more fun to listen to, definitely. Uh, what other scores has John Williams done? I know he's done like a, a thousand, but Superman. those are like two of his main ones, right? Indiana Jones. I have never seen Superman actually, so. Superman's great. Jaws, Indiana Jones, obviously. Oh Schindler, yeah, Indiana Schind- Jones. Schindler's obviously. List from the same year. That's not a score I could listen to very often. That's a sad. Oh score. yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, bad movie, but like Star Wars Episode One score is amazing. That's a, yeah, that's a great, great score. score. Oh my god, yeah. the the choir and everything. Ooh. Great yeah. score. Uh, yeah. No, I, I mean. Lot of lot of Spielberg movies. Mm, I'm sure true. he did. Yeah. I'm sure he did Close Encounters, but I can't can't place the e, two. He did ET, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah, did okay, ET. Okay, okay, okay. ET, ET's a great one. That is a great score. Wow, jeez, what a what a guy, what a guy, John Williams. Well, his music is just so iconic. I mean, it is. I suppose now the the kind of movie canvas is is scored by. The likes of Hans Zimmer and James Easter Howard and Michael Giacchino, mm. but there's something really timeless about John Williams' music. Yeah, very classic. Yeah, how someone just listened to me rattle off um, the John Williams scores screaming into their phone. Ethan, Harry Potter. <laughs> I, I, oh, there has right. To, oh, <laughs> yes, of there, course. <laughs> like someone had to have just been like, "You guys, like Harry Potter. <laughs> you didn't say Harry Potter." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that was a great one too. Obviously, yeah, that is that is iconic. Honestly, Catch Me If You Can is pretty great too. Yeah, I can yeah, I can imagine that. Sure. I can imagine the title yeah. sequence in my head. That's that's such an underrated movie too. Yeah. Oh my god, that is a that's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a really fun movie. Yeah, no, John Williams is great, and like the one part where like the T Rex comes in eats the Velociraptors. That was my one time I thought the score was slightly misplaced because um, T-Rex comes in, grabs the Velociraptor, and like big like heroic music starts playing. And I'm like, as a v- as a viewer, I'm still scared of the T Rex. So it's like mm-hmm. it's like it's like terror music, and then all of a sudden it's like da 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 da. You know, T Rex is coming in to save the day, and I'm like, I don't think this is over. Like I, I, that, that that doesn't. That's actually one of my biggest gripes. One of my only gripes, honestly, with this movie is just that when the T Rex comes in, the music is almost leading the audience to like a yeah, he's saving the day, but it's like. He killed like three other people, though. Like he's more yeah. dangerous than they are, technically. I mean, maybe not, maybe not directly, but like, you know, I would still be terrified. Like, I wouldn't be like, "Yay!" I'd be like, "No, I can get away while he's distracted." Like, geez. I'd know? also, I'd also say, like, like had they had that music cue not come in, I would have, I would have still been terrified in that scene that that he would have eaten one of the people on their way out. Yeah, I think that I think definitely the score is kind of leading the audience more than the, the visuals are in that scene. I'm just, I, don't know. I just can't get over how good that theme is, though. You know, even when the helicopter's flying to the island, when that score kicks in, it, mm-hmm. it really is so impactful. Um, and even in, in Jurassic World, where Michael Giacchino takes that John Williams score and manages to expand on it really, really well, and it still has that, it has such a timeless quality. Anything else we should touch on? All right, so here's one. This one, this one actually, this one was really surprising. 
So the first time Jurassic Park was was televised nationally, it was watched by 68.12 million people, which gave NBC a 36% share of every viewer that night. 36%? That's crazy. That is ridiculous. That's also well into, like, the cable days. Like, you know, cable... Cable's out in the '90s, so it, it, you, you don't quite get the same. That's that's like that's yeah, way more think, than the Super Bowl gets these days. That's crazy. I think it was '95 that was first televised. So yeah, it, yeah, pretty interesting. This, that's I mean, Jurassic Park is such a good example of vertical integration in the t- in the sense that hmm. Universal's parent company, who I think is currently Comcast, but they obviously Comcast. own. They own the television network. They own the theme parks. They have a music label. You know, they can hit all these different markets, all the different products and merchandising, and then they can screen the movie as well exclusively. Um, That's so true. This one movie made Universal so – That's I hadn't really thought about that. This this literally got Universal in every single facet of their, like, business, really. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Especially when you think about like the spinoffs. I mean, if you, I mean, Jurassic World would not have made all this money if Jurassic Park wasn't so iconic. Definitely. Um, I hate Comcast, but that's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I really like. They're like one of my least favorite companies in the whole world. Yeah, understandably. They're like, yeah. Um, what else do I have here? Let's see. Okay, this one's fun. Um, on set, Spielberg would make dinosaur sounds during scenes where there would be dinosaur sounds, which, which made it harder for the actors because they thought it was funny. Why would you do – okay, I love Spielberg, but why on earth would you do that? Like, oh, I just imagine him going, okay, rawr, <laughs> and they're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, because he, he was doing it in the, the scene where the caster stood next to the raptor enclosure and they feed – a goat into the into the enclosure and so they can't see the raptors but um i think it's just it's some kind of inspired move by spielberg to try and motivate the actors to try and mold their performance but at the same time it's just really wacky (laughs) really is this reminds me of a conversation that you and i had yesterday nev Mm. like how how would you roar in a british accent and make it scary because rule is not very scary. Be raw. Raw. Okay, okay. So you got to go deeper and raw. Okay, that is, is kind of scary. Okay. Because rule is not... <laughs> you got to get the rash. That's how I imagine, ra- imagine British people. Rule. I think if, 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 if a toddler went to, to do that, it probably would sound like... Yours sounds much better. We can, we can work on it. I can train you. <laughs> that was the first thing I learned to say in a British accent was, rule, I'm a dinosaur. I mean, it does it, it does sound like a British accent. It also sounds like an American doing a British accent. So, <laughs> does it? But we can work. Yeah, we can work on it. I will work on my British accent right now. But do you know, do you ever find that when the when the podcast. British when British people try to do American accents, can you can you find the flaws in it? You you, you try. Me try to do an American accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Gonna try not to be embarrassed. Um, can I have a water, please? What? That was really good. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> but was would really you solid. believe? Would you believe that that sounds like an American accent? If you were telling me to do dialect, I'd I'd fail miserably. No, that was can actually you do a good. Southern accent? That was really good. 
Um, uh, I shouldn't really. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. I was trying. You know, I was trying to mould it around something like uh, Frank Underwood and how he speaks. Mm. Frank Underwood <laughs> House of Lies. That, Is it House of Lies? House of Cards. That was quite lovely. House of Cards. House of Cards. Do you know, any time I try and do an American accent in front of some of my friends, they tell me to stop. But I just do it to no, line I was, them up. I, I feel like I can do a decent British accent once I, like, really get into it. But it takes a while to, like, where it, it comes out naturally, where you can kind of, like, speak without it being, like, I'm thinking of every sound that I'm making. But, uh, I mean, I think I think part of it's the context, right? Because if mm. you're... if 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 you're going around like the US just being like can I have a water please like which by the way sounded worse than your accent um <laughs> like 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 if you if you did that people would just be like okay like i don't know like like they wouldn't be thinking much about it because they're not, they don't know the context that you're british like i i went yeah. to this i went to this um st patrick's day and party in paris with a bunch mm-hmm. of my british friends and just did a british accent the whole time and no one picked up on it. It was really funny until I just stopped and everyone was like, what the fuck? But um, I was very proud of that. But everyone was like drunk and I don't know. They just, why would someone go and fake a British accent all night? I don't know. (laughs) But did I ever tell you when I went to um, New Orleans, I was in an IHOP and I asked for a glass of tap water and the waitress, I, I said it about five times, and this waitress couldn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> and then I thought, what? I thought, okay, I'm going to have to just change my voice. So I said, can I have a water, please? And she said, oh, I'm right, okay. Your accent is too She's thick. Like, water. I water. <laughs> what other what other facts do you have for this, friend? <laughs> All right. Um, mm. In the in the in the actual book Jurassic Park, uh, Ian Malcolm dies in the end, and in the mm. sequel, in the sequel, he literally says, uh, in the sequel of the movie, he says, "Rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated," <laughs> as a response to him having been dead in the book. That's that funny. funny. That is really yeah. funny. That's yeah. a great line. It's like a really right. famous quote. Yeah. Huh. And. Also, just something I wanted to throw out there. Yep. The scene where the, uh, the T-Rex is chasing the car, and in the mirror it says, objects in the mirror yeah, matching closer than they I appear. Forgot to know I, thought that. That was, I thought that was brilliant. That was so smart. It's such a great, little thing, but I love that. Great objects in mirror joke. I, I don't know of any others, but uh, I do, do, I you do know frequently the, think about that when I look in my rearview mirrors. Do you know the Pixar reference that pertains to that scene? Oh, I would, you know, I would oh, guess. I would Toy guess Story, right? Yeah. Toy Story. Yes, I remember that. Uh, yes. Yeah, I would, I would yeah, guess yeah, yeah. Toy Story, but I can't remember it. Did you know that uh, the T-Rex was nominated for Best Villain at the MTV Movie Awards? We were talking That's about awesome. Dennis. That's we were talking awesome. about how Dennis Nedry was the villain in this movie, but apparently, according to MTV, it was actually the T-Rex. But, um, <laughs> but then the T-Rex saves the end. It saves the day in the end, so... Yeah. So, the, but the T Rex didn't win best film. Uh, it lost to Alicia Silverstone in a film called The Crush, which I've personally not seen. I was twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so mm, should have been the T Rex. The T Rex is much more iconic. Not very good. But I mean, if you could create a theme park of your own, what theme would it be? That's a great question, Dad. Ooh, like, 
dinosaur related would be up there. Mm. What about what about like like for like the real like letterbox people like a Criterion world <laughs> oh where God. it's it's like where you have like your head walking around. Yeah, you have like all these like you know, and then and, 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 and then like you go into like tarkovsky's stalker world and it's all like you know you take the journey to the room and all that but it's all like, oh god it's just for it's just like really slow sad rides for like people that want to experience that oh god i'd be up for um like a wes anderson criterion uh the life aquatic sea adventure oh yeah Ooh, that would be a fun. That would be that would be an actually yeah. fun ride. I was thinking I was like, like Harold Grand Mod. Budapest. You could do the you could do the um the ski lift thing. You could actually do a lot with Wes Anderson yeah. movies at the theme park. Wes Anderson, cool. Wes Anderson yeah. theme park would have been fun. In Paris, there was a there was like an art expo- exhibition. I don't know if it was by Banksy or some something, but it was someone famous. I think that did that did um Dismal Land, which is like this like sad take on Disneyland <laughs> and it was all like everything oh, no. was like falling apart and like rotting and disgusting and you could actually go to this place. But it was like it was like it was like the it was like the oh, no. it was like the semester before I ended up in Paris. I didn't get to check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what would be your theme park, Nev? And Ryan. Mine, so mine would probably be something to do with board games actually. The Simpsons oh, did a Treehouse of Horror episode where they brought board games to life. Um, but I think if you look at like something like Jumanji, that in itself is a game that's brought to life that's a little bit terrifying. That would be a cool ride. Um, you could have, you know, uh, a battleship themed ride. I mean, I think there's wow, there's a lot yeah. of possibilities. Hasbro would want to jump in, I'm sure, on on funding a lot of it. Don't know. I could Hopefully. maybe be a future John Hammond making a board game around theme parks. Like, well, the other way around. <laughs> no, that would be fascinating. I don't know how you awesome. do. Yeah. yeah, no that 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 would be really fun. Like it would be it it would be cool if you somehow made them interactive uh, as well. I don't know how you'd quite do that. Yeah. But, uh, that or like a fun. murder like, mystery for Clue. Yeah, slash Clue. Cluedo. I was thinking. I was just thinking about yeah. Clue. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? Ryan what, what would you pick? What would you do? Oh man, I don't know. Um. If I would, I would like to do a ride or a theme park that's kind of like a like world themed almost. I know that kind of exists already, but like each ride is its own country kind of thing. You know what I mean? Okay. And it's almost like Have taking a trip through the country. <laughs> well, yes, but like I'm talking about like like actual like yeah. like. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like each ride is its own full country experience, kind of giving you a, a, an idea of what countries are like. Because I personally have, the only time I've ever been out of the country was to go to um, Aruba, which is like out of the country, but also it's like an island. It's not really like a country. So I've never really yeah. been to an actual country. So I mean, like that's a cool uh, alternative if people aren't able to, you know, that kind of thing. Totally it gives you some sense of what the country's like, you know, yeah. And yeah, your, no, that would be your cool. ticket that would could be, cool. be like a passport and you go around with your passport and you get stamped to all the rides. Oh my God. Yeah. You're so good at this. Wow. <laughs> that would be really Jeez. cool. That would be yeah. really cool. Shall we go to business? Honestly, I've been, I've been, I, I've been thinking more about like what, 
what the Ingmar Bergman section of the Criterion <laughs> theme park would be like, where you just have like, you just have like characters from his movies, like say, saying really dark things in Swedish and just going like, you, you know, like the grandma looks up and just like, you know, just like, starts like speaking Swedish. <laughs> like, Oh my God. Just like pondering life and death. They're all like these really boring animatronics that are just sitting in chairs, kind of thinking about things. I think that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> It's definitely something happen. to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, you guys. Well, to wrap things up, um, <clears throat> I usually have guests say a quote that they like in character. Nev, given how prepared you were for the intro, I, I'm assuming you gave this some thought. No, I'd like to say I did, but I haven't. <laughs> I've only got one John Hammond line, and it is just one word only. Go for it. All right. Um, Damn! That is- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was just lovely. him saying yeah, that. Yeah. And that, yeah. that scene makes me laugh every time. That was lovely. That was lovely. <laughs> Ryan, I don't know how you're gonna. How, I I got a John Hammond your, quote. Your last, your last two were fire. <laughs> um, this one, honestly, this isn't like a popular quote or anything. It's just a random quote that I heard, and I was like, "That's funny." I'm gonna write that down. So uh, it's a Richard Attenborough quote. Uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You are meant to come down here and defend me against these characters, and the only one I've got on my side is a blood-sucking liar! (laughs) That was lovely. That was lovely. I tried a British accent again. I don't think it went well, but I tried it. No, that was was pretty good. I mean, mean, Nev can give the final judgment on it, but I thought it was pretty good. I'll give it a six. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys, this was super fun. Thank you. Thank you both for, thank you both for coming on. Nev, we'll have to do something with you you. again. Ryan, you are a regular at this point. Yeah, I love Donald. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cineflag, and I will see you next week.